0: Legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes, the most legendary sauce has arrived. As McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wick, McDonald's the greatest flavors unite in all-new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece wick nuggets, fries, and sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal, and sit down for a new anime short every week. Only at Wick McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go. At participating McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. brett mckay here and welcome to another edition of the art of manliness podcast so stop what you're doing right now and take a deep breath okay did your chest go up and down when you did that if so Congratulations, you just failed at breathing. But don't worry, my guest today on the show will set you straight. Her name is Belisa Vranich. She's a clinical psychologist who has made a career retraining people on how to breathe correctly. And in her latest book, Breathe, she provides a step-by-step program to help people breathe better. Today on the show, Belisa explains all the ill health and psychological effects of poor breathing, like increased stress, poor sleep, poor mental function, and even poor digestion, as as well as why so many people mess up the seemingly simple and automatic bodily process. She then walks listeners through how to take a proper breath and even share some exercises you can do to train yourself to breathe better and improve your all-around health. This is an extremely practical podcast, and trust me, you're going to feel great after you do the breathing exercise Belisa lays out, and you're going to feel really great after taking your first proper breath, probably since you were a baby. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash breathe, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Belisa Vranich, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm psyched to be here.
0: So you wrote a book called Breathe, the simple revolutionary 14-day program to improve your mental and physical health. It's all about breathing, which is this bodily function that we all take for granted. And you think you can't screw it up, but you can. We'll talk about how you do that. But uh, you're a clinical psychologist. And some th- sometime in your career, you got into researching the importance of breathing how to breathe effectively and how to t- retrain people to breathe effectively. I'm curious, how does a clinical psychologist start studying this body function that most of us just take for granted?
2: Well, not only was I dealing with my own stress, so I eventually got to look at my breathing as part of what was affecting my stress, but I was always looking to see as a psychologist how you make that mind-body connection. So most of us go around and we, we have the labels for all the things that are wrong with us. We, you know, have lack of closure. We have learning disabilities. We have daddy issues. Whatever it is that's going on with us, we know the words for it. But we do, we have we really don't integrate it and fix it as well as we could. And I always say, I've always said to my patients, believe it or not, my clinical patients, that understanding is overrated. If you take the understanding about what's going on with your mind and don't actually change it and integrate it with your body, then all you're doing is having the same problems, but understanding it intellectually. So I found that using the breathing clinically helped you be able to actually gain that closure or you know, heal from that trauma, or most importantly for me is take that anxiety that now you understood so well and actually calm your body and get over it. So that's that's actually where it came from.
0: Wow! And you also mentioned before we got on the show, your you had a, your father um, actually had some health problems because of. Poor breathing.
2: Yes. Well, older adults, this happens to most older adults, is that they end up having a lot of residual air in their bodies because they don't exhale well. So they always feel this feeling it's called air hunger, like they can't take a deep breath. And it's just because they haven't exhaled well. My dad ended up getting what's called vascular dementia, which is not enough oxygen to the brain. He was a history professor and a writer. So if you can think about getting dementia is for someone who, who lives off, you know, his memory and facts and, and history is, uh, you know, really, really tragic. And it was an, you know, excruciatingly difficult situation to see him deteriorate. And, you know, as I was sort of healing from that, um, I really studied what was going on with vascular dementia and how are we breathing? Are we breathing enough do we just give it, give it lip service and not really do it well is it just breathe like we hear in songs or is there something you know that we could do better so that's actually the personal part of it
0: well let's talk about it so how how do we screw up this thing we don't even think about doing right
2: what, <laughs> and what, we do we really <laughs> screw it up right
0: so like what does a so, wrong uh, breath look like
2: <laughs> so we screw it up by making it anatomically incongruous. We actually screw it up by not using the muscles we were designed with to breathe. And we start using other muscles that were never meant to be primary breathing muscles. So, you know, it's it's not... Um, I tend not to be very woo-woo. I tend to be very practical and science driven in what I do. And if you look at human anatomy, we're built to breathe in a way that we're not breathing anymore. You look at the rest of the planet, it's breathing the right way. I mean the rest of the planet meaning um all the other animals on the planet. Um, and they're breathing, widening in the middle where the biggest part of their lungs are, and then narrowing in the middle where the biggest part of our lung, where the biggest part of the lungs are. Um, and we have taken the breath, which should be a horizontal breath, meaning expanding and contracting in the middle. And we've pushed it to the tops of our bodies and we use our shoulders to inhale, which is completely ridiculous. So we're taking more of a vertical breath than we are a horizontal breath that makes sense with our bodies. So we've completely screwed it up. And because breathing is so important, it's really the baseline for your health. It screws up Everything in our bodies, from our pH and acidity to our back health and stomach health and ability to sleep and relax, it's really kind of fascinating the way the whole thing crumbles when you take the base away.
0: So yeah, we'll get into some of these these downsides more in specific, more in detail here in a bit. But so, for so our listeners, they can do like a little, I guess, a quick exercise for them to take a breath, right? And if their shoulders and chest are rising, that means they're they're failing at breathing, right?
2: So what it is, is what I want you to do. So Brett, you can do this and listeners as well, is come off the back of your chair. So don't lean on the back of your chair. So come so that you're sitting up nice and straight at the front of your chair and take an inhale, take an inhale through your mouth, big inhale and feel your body. It's probably going to go up on the inhale, inhale. And it's like this vertical breath, your shoulders go up and everything kind of stretches upwards. So take a look at that. That is a vertical breath. And that's how probably nine out of 10 of us breathe, that vertical breath. So how you should be breathing is actually shoulders not moving, not stretching upward. You should inhale and expand horizontally. So it's that vertical breath that nine out of 10 people take that is creating all these problems that is really a, a fail when it comes to breathing.
0: Okay. We'll, we'll talk more about uh, the, the correct breathing method. Um, so like these downsides. Uh, so one of them, like you, well, the exhale part for your father led to a form of dementia. You talk about pH balance, people not being able to sleep well. Like how does like our breath, our poor breathing lead to poor sleep?
2: Mm-hmm. It's incredible that it it goes from how badly you breathe to not being able to go to sleep at night. So the way you breathe is is tied to your neurology. So the only way your brain figures out how it should feel or what should you be telling the rest of your body is neurologically, and the neurology is the breathing. So when you think of the link between your body and your mind, it is the breathing. So when you're breathing vertically, you're vagus nerve tells your brain that you should be on high alert. So it really doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. If you're continuing to breathe up and down, your neurology is on high alert, which means pretty much that your heart rate is higher, your blood pressure might be higher, your cortisol stress hormone may be higher, and your immune system is lower just because you're breathing up and down and not in a horizontal way. So what happens is that your body is on high alert all day long, and then when you want to flip the switch and go to sleep, it's saying, "Uh uh-uh, I've been on high alert all day. It's going to take me a lot longer than you want to be able to go to sleep.
0: That's interesting. And so that increased cortisol level as well- Like causes, just wreaks havoc on lots of other things. It doesn't allow you to recover from exercise as well.
2: Exactly. It
0: does a lot of things to your brain. I mean, so that all goes to poor breathing.
2: Exactly, because that is the link between the two things. We always think that... Well, you know, it might be a supplement, which there's some amazing supplements out there. It might be, you know, more water, being hydrated better. Yes, that's good, but the one main thing it is is how you're breathing. Right. It's how you're breathing because your neurological system, your vagus nerve is going to see where you're breathing from. Where in your body, you're, not how much oxygen is in your body, not not necessarily the pace of your breath as much, but it's more about are you breathing using your diaphragm? Are you breathing using the biggest part of your lungs that are in the middle of your body? So that's how your body calms down. And if you're on high alert all day breathing vertically, there's no way you're going to be able to turn yourself off and sleep at night. There's no way you're going to be able to get your cortisol down quickly because it's been jacked all day long.
0: And that's probably why you might feel chronically stressed out too because you're just breathing in that upper part of your chest.
2: Sure. And because your body's hearing that you need to be stressed out because, you know, no matter where you are, it's thinking you're in a war zone. And again, the fatigue comes because not only is our acidity thrown off by that, our pH thrown off by our bad breathing, which makes your adrenals work over time, but also because you're in high alert all day long, which is exhausting.
0: Right, so this is kind of interesting, so the vertical breathing is a breathing that we do for like like fight or flight situations. so it's not so it's not it's not necessarily that it's bad. It's just bad that you do it all the time is that- exactly,
2: okay, exactly. I mean, if you're out you know, doing something where you need to be taking small breaths and paying attention intently. So think about, I mean, there's lots of situations where you have to take small breaths and think about what you're doing intently. If you're a surgeon, if you're a tattoo artist, if you're a sharpshooter, there's lots of careers that require you to be able to take small breaths and have intense focus, but you can't breathe that way all the time you actually have to take breaks and go back into an expansive breath that calms you down and calms your blood pressure and your heart rate or else your body's going to suffer and it's going to complain
0: right and in addition to these you know physiological bad effects of poor breathing you know people forget that our brain like the thing that makes our body work and gives us consciousness and everything, like it runs on oxygen, like mm-hmm. it uses most of the oxygen. <laughs> and if you're not getting enough, then you're probably gonna have.
2: Yeah. B- oxygen effects, is me. cell fuel. So you can be eating all the best things out there, but you need oxygen to be able to break down nutrients. You know, you run on it for sure. Although, I don't focus as much on oxygen because most people, I'd say most people, if you use in, if you look at their oxygen, they're in the high 90s. But you do have folks that have very constricted breathing that it does take an effect on their oxygen. For me, what's most important is your neurological system and your breathing muscles. And in general, you never hear about breathing muscles and you do have breathing muscles. In fact, you have lots of them and they're really important.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned one of the diaphragm is a big one
2: diaphragm is a huge one <laughs> metaphorically and and physically it is and most of us don't even know exactly we know sort of where it is in the body but we really don't know what it looks like if you look at pictures of it it just looks like this weird squid with a lot of tentacles, and you just can't figure out exactly where it's positioned in your body. Or if you look at, you know, Heimlich maneuver posters in your in your takeout, you know, how to how to do the Heimlich on someone. It's got like a little red line. So most of us don't understand. And you can do this right now. Is that if you put your fingers right at the bottom of your ribs in the front of your body, your diaphragm is connected to the very bottom of your ribs. So keep walking your fingers around the outside of your ribs. And you can actually walk them all the way around. Once you get to your back, you're going to hit some, you know, back fat or muscles, but your diaphragm really goes all the way around your body and it separates your thoracic cavity from your digestive organs. So it really is a cross section of your entire middle of your body. So think about that. I usually use a vegetable strainer when I'm talking to people, when I'm teaching, take a vegetable strainer, turn it upside down and flatten it. That's how big your diaphragm is. It's A small pizza or a frisbee. The thing is huge muscle that's right underneath your heart and right above all your digestive organs. It's, it's really the starship enterprise of your, of your whole body.
0: Right. And besides the diaphragm, what other muscles do we use when we breathe or should be using when we breathe?
2: Should be using. Well, your intercostals are one of them. And we don't think about intercostals, but they're the tiny little muscles that there's two layers of them in between all your ribs. So your intercostal muscles, they work a lot. They work with the inhale, but more with the exhale. Your obliques, certainly all your abs and even the mysterious pelvic floor should be engaged when you breathe. Right. So it's a lot of different muscles that go you know all over the very middle and underneath of your body
0: okay so let's talk about like how, how okay the breathing like we come out of the womb knowing how to breathe and you talk about in the book you look at most kids or toddlers or babies like they breathe like they're supposed to it's, it's a horizontal they don't do the vertical thing so how do we go from that to becoming adults that just don't know how to breathe anymore
2: Hmm. OK so usually I say that the changing point is between ages of five and ten so I've spent you know a lot of time looking to see when these things changed because babies do can't breathe with their shoulders. They can't breathe vertically. They have no choice. So I never use them as an example. I say, look at a five-year-old or a six-year-old. Usually they're still breathing well. They're using their diaphragms. They will expand in the middle and contract in the middle like they should. Take that same child four or five years later and they're breathing vertically and they're bracing their bellies. So a series of things happens. And I want um, our listeners to think about their own lives and I want you to think about yours as to what could have happened to get you to be a vertical breather. So one thing that happens is that you start sitting a lot. Think about you're five years old, you go to school and that's when sitting starts happening. Before that, you're rolling around, you're in the sandbox, you're you know having a good time. You start sitting and once you start sitting, you get less air in your body, you get less movement in your body, and it almost starts pushing your breathing from the middle to the top of your body. Um, the posture in which you sit, usually with your shoulders internally rotated, maybe a little bit of forward head posture, also affects your breathing. And they say posture affects your breathing up to 30%. And then starts the gripping of your belly. And it could be that you're bracing because you're trying to feel prepared, it could be that you're sucking it in because you feel chubby or it could be fear where you're gripping your body out of fear of what's going on around you so those types of things in addition to waistbands bra straps uh having injuries in the middle of your body just little ones like falling off a skateboard or a, or a sled or something where you hit the middle of your body and you don't want to take a big inhale because it hurts, you look at your parents, they're breathing vertically. You look at commercials, everyone's breathing vertically. You look at fitness magazines, no one's ever taking a lower body breath in a fitness magazine. So the narrowing of the waist that you see in your parents, that you see in advertisement, as well as your own gripping, your own little belly, and then waistbands, compression garments, you end up with a vertical breath.
0: Wow. So we've talked about what a vertical breath looks like, and let's go into detail what a horizontal breath looks like. So you, you told us to kind of breathe in your lower body. Is it, is it a matter just filling your belly with air? Is that like a good cue to start off with?
2: It's a good cue, but I also like to back up because the first time I was told to take a belly breath, I did was what most people are going to do, which is say, why would I ever want to do that? Why am I actually going to want to poke my belly out and look heavier? you know, good grief, I've been sucking it in for two decades, Why would I ever want to let it out? What happens if I can't suck it back in again? So the point is that when you take a belly breath, there's no air actually going into your belly. All you're doing is letting the middle of your body, your belly expand, because that way your diaphragm gets engaged, lowers, and makes more space inside your thoracic cavity for air. So the belly breath is really in getting your diaphragm engaged because your diaphragm will follow your your belly and flatten out and create space inside your thoracic cavity. So it's not that you're breathing into your stomach. It's not that you're actually would be make your middle um, and your abs stronger by breathing this way. But the belly breath is the beginner's breath. But keep in mind that later on, much later, once this becomes more natural, and it will, you'll just want to expand your body 360 degrees all the way around. So your back opens up a little bit. Your sides definitely open up. Your middle opens up a tiny bit, but not to the extent of that beginner's belly breath. But your goal is to have 360 degrees all the way around widen with your shoulders not moving at all.
0: Right. and When you look, you said that in the book, when you look at animals, like that whole part of that core basically expands when they take a breath.
2: And that's what makes the whole thing really riveting for me is as animals on this planet, like we are, we're the only ones that are breathing in this crazy ass backwards way, using our shoulders, the smallest part of our lungs and wreaking havoc on everything inside of us. So, All you have to do is look at, you know, go in your backyard and look at your your cat, your dog, your goat, whatever animal you have in your backyard or in your house. It can be a fish. It can be a bird. They're all breathing with the movement being in the middle of their bodies where the biggest part of their lungs are. We're the only like dumbest ones on the planets that are moving our shoulders trying to get oxygen in by shrugging up and down and up and down.
0: So you, you talk about in the book a good way to become aware of this lower body breath when you first start out is you know lying on the floor or your bed and putting books on your belly. Yes. And just and if you can see those rise up, it means you're you're doing a good job.
2: X that's exactly it. So because I come I, I'm a gym rat, I come from a gym background, and I want to know about muscles. So when you start treating something that's always been a little bit vague and mysterious, like breathing, and you start talking about breathing muscles, it makes a lot more sense to people and to me as well. When I inhale, I want to be able to be using my diaphragm. So if you inhale and push those books away from your body, just like any sort of rep you would do at the gym on the exhale you let them fall and you start thinking oh this is engaging my diaphragm i'm using my intercostals my obliques so it becomes a muscular workout not this vague just breathe you know kind of thing that you do it's right. it's more about i'm actually working out my muscles i'm doing something that feels more like like pt or like a gym workout
0: And how do you move on from you know you know filling doing the belly breath like what's the next step like in your training regimen to get you to the point where you're using your back or your obliques as well, letting those expand and fill out?
2: Great. Well, one thing you just said that's really important is the first breath you should take should be on the ground because when you lie down, it's really hard to take a vertical breath. You're almost forced to take a horizontal breath. So you're breathing at night actually should be a little bit better than your breathing during the day, even though since we're not sleeping, you know, way enough, more than, you know, as much as we should, um, it's not really helping us for during the day. But you should start on with your back on the ground, where you inhale, you fill your belly, if you'd like that analogy, you push the books away. And on the exhale, you're letting it fall. And you're almost squeezing your middle and squeezing out all the air. So once that starts making sense, you can come up and I have people off do cat cow from yoga, and cat cow. If you're not familiar with it, is that cow is letting your belly. You're on all fours. You're letting your belly drop. You're looking up towards the sky. It looks a lot like the cow creamer that a lot of people have. Of uh, you know, for your milk or your almond milk or your soy milk, whatever it is. Um, exhale is cat. It's sort of your scary Halloween cat. And again, these are not my words. This actually comes from yoga, where you arch your back, you look down towards your belly button, you squeeze your middle, and you exhale. So you alternate between those two, where you inhale, you drop your belly, you expand your body, you look up, you take an inhale, you roll your back, back goes up towards the ceiling, you look like a scary Halloween cat, look at your belly button and exhale. So that's almost exactly the same movement you should have when you're you're lying on your back, you take that and then do it in a chair. So all these things are exactly the same. As far as the movements, they're just in different positions to see which one sticks with you. So when you sit up and go to a chair, you're thinking, hmm, this is like cat cow, but seated. It's sort of like being on my back, giving a big belly breath And then exhaling, you sort of lean back and squeeze belly button towards your spine. So what you want to do is think about breathing horizontally. You tip forwards, you let your belly go, you inhale, you expand your body, then you roll back, you roll your hips underneath you, squeeze belly button towards your spine. So now you've got it so that you know how to breathe when you're lying down, you're retraining your body to breathe the way it used to now when you're you're seated and the hardest one to do. So I don't tell people try this one first cuz it's the hardest one is standing up. When you stand up, you do the same movement as you do when you're sitting, which is that you bump your butt back as if you're doing Valsalva when you're lifting or you know, if you're taking this if you're a girl and you're taking a selfie, you'll see everybody bumps their butt back, selfie butt. So you inhale, tip your butt backwards. Fill your belly up and then on the exhale, take your hips and put them underneath you and squeeze. Now granted in the beginning, this is a very big movement and you look a little crazy doing it. So I recommend when you're by yourself to do this big movement of moving forwards and expanding, exhaling and squeezing. But then when you're in public, you just do a small movement. Your shoulders don't move, you inhale, let your belly go or if you're really thin, you have to actually push your belly out exhale, you narrow your body. And that's how you do it standing up. So once you have that lower body breath, and it starts to make sense, and it starts to feel more natural, that's when you can start doing the harder extra exercises and start getting your breathing muscles to be strong.
0: I love that. Yeah, I'm doing the the butt back thing. It's the same I guess the same movement I would do when I'm setting my back for a deadlift. That's kind of what I am. Exactly.
2: Imagine. It's Valsalva. I usually say Valsalva butt or selfie butt and everybody in the audience understands one or the other.
0: Gets it. All right. Um so besides okay, let's talk about we've talked about inhaling. Um we, the thing I have trouble with, cause like, I don't think about it all that much. And you mentioned your father's experience of, you know, not exhaling enough as he gets older. And that's a problem that all older people have. It's like exhaling, right? Is it just like, usually I just think it's just like letting the air out, but mm-hmm. the way you describe it, it's more of forcing the air, actually using your muscles to force that air out of your, your, out of your lungs.
2: So I've got two things going on here with the exhale is that one, the idea of exhale and let go has screwed us. Because exhale, let go means you just open your mouth or just let air go out of your body very passively, right? It's not really an exhale. And the fact is you should be inhaling and relaxing your body and exhaling and giving it a squeeze. It's the opposite of what we've been taught. So... Just let me go into that a second in that usually you're told exhale, let go. And that's when you'll let your body relax. And sometimes people even let their bellies go on the exhale, which makes no sense at all anatomically. So what I want you to do is inhale, relax and expand, and then exhale, actually squeeze That let go is an intellectual let go, not a physical let go. It's let go of tension, let go of irritability. It's not let go of the middle of your body, because if you just let go of the middle of the body, you're not exhaling well. So you can try this right now, is that take an inhale any way you want to, and now on the exhale, just let go. And now, actually, at the end of that exhale, stop, and now squeeze your belly and get all the rest of the air out. You're going to notice, oh my gosh, I had so much extra air left. Did you do that?
0: I did it. No, but you're right though. Like I've, I've, whenever I've, I've noticed myself when I exhale is I'll just relax my stomach. That's what I naturally want to do. But that's not. So
2: ex- the exhale, if you're a vertical breather, the exhale is collapsing. Right. When you're a horizontal breather, the exhale is narrowing and ringing out. So it's a completely different concept, and you can think about that right now because anybody who's listening, and you, Brett, is that you used to be a vertical breather, and after this podcast, you were going to be well on your way to being a horizontal breather. So before, when you were a vertical breather, you would inhale up, and you would exhale down and collapse, right? Right. Right. Now, I want you to inhale and expand and exhale, try to squeeze the air out of your body and make your middle narrower and actually use your abs a little bit, which by the way, this is the reason why you end up having a much stronger core when you're a horizontal breather.
0: Because you're getting an ab workout while you're mm-hmm.
2: But it- ab workouts the way you never have before because I have people who come in to see me and they're shredded. They have nine packs and just like right. beautiful, beautiful abs and they're completely just shredded and have gorgeous middles, but they can't inhale because they have a muscular core set and they can't exhale because they can only go to bracing. They can't actually go to squeezing out. So you end up having a really strong core where it matters deep down inside. So for instance, if you plank and I plank all the time is that you'll find your plank gets much longer and it's much easier if you're a horizontal breather.
0: And you also mentioned uh, one of the muscles we bring in, when we exhale is these, you know, as you said earlier, the mysterious pelvic floor muscles.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what's going on there?
2: <laughs> exactly. What's going on there? Well, let me, let me ask you this. How many muscles in your pelvic floor? I have no clue. Uh Uh-huh. Most people don't, or they say one, and they make a little squeezing motion with their hand. And the fact is that there's about 20 muscles in your pelvic floor. There's your proper, your small pelvic floor, which has a few muscles, and then there's all the muscles that attach and support your pelvic floor. So all together, you have about 20 muscles. That is a lot of muscles in your pelvic floor. And your pelvic floor is not as big as your diaphragm, but it's almost as big as your diaphragm. So if you're thinking that your diaphragm is the size of a, a Frisbee, your pelvic floor is a little bit smaller. And it's actually connected to your diaphragm by your psoas muscles. So it's interesting. You'd never think that your pelvic floor has anything to do with your breathing. It's so far away from your lungs. Why would you ever have to think about your pelvic floor when you're breathing? But the fact is that when you're breathing well, you're using your entire body and so many muscles to inhale and exhale. So just think about this. When you inhale, I want you to relax your glutes and relax your pelvic floor okay? And on the exhale, I actually want you to squeeze your lower abs and contract your pelvic floor. And let's back up for a second. When I say contract um, or expand or relax your pelvic floor, I'm actually talking about your bicycle seat. So it's the part of your body that hits the bicycle seat. And the beginner's uh, pelvic floor contraction, it's not the, the perfect pelvic floor contraction, but the beginner pelvic floor contraction is you can squeeze as if you're trying not to pass gas or you can squeeze as if you're trying to stop urine midstream.
0: Right, that, that urine, the urine one, the cue works for me.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's a couple muscles. But as you get better at doing this, you'll realize, oh my gosh, I have muscles in front of that. I have muscles to either side. I have muscles in back. You really have, again, visualize that smaller Frisbee. There's a lot of muscles that have to do with your pelvic floor. If it's interesting with pelvic floor muscles is that we're seeing so much pelvic floor dysfunction right now, and we're not getting good instruction on how to take care of our pelvic floor. And if you're someone right now who's saying, oh, pelvic floor, mine's fine, or I haven't had a baby through a vaginal delivery, I don't have to worry about this. You're dead wrong. Uh, pelvic floor problems and pelvic floor herniations affect people who are long-distance runners, who lift weights or, or CrossFit. Um, who are overweight or obese, or who are smokers? So that's a lot of people who end up having dysfunctional pelvic floor muscles, often, and who need to know how to breathe to strengthen their pelvic floor muscles.
0: Right, and so you're you're contracting those pelvic floor muscles to sort of squeeze that air out. So I mean, wh- yes. I, I'm imagining it sort of like your diaphragm and your pelvic floor muscles acting sort of like a billows a little bit, right? The diaphragm expands and to Fill your lungs up with air and then your pelvic floor contracts to push it out.
2: Yes, it, it does work that way. And if you were to put your hands one, you know, with some space one on top of the other, when your diaphragm flattens out, when your top hand flattens out and makes space in your thoracic cavity, it also pushes all your digestive organs down. So your pelvic floor has to relax to accommodate for all those organs. So you're already doing this, by the way, when you're doing a belly breath, you're already doing this, but I want to bring more attention to it. On the exhale, your body narrows and your pelvic floor muscle comes up in your body. So your whole body narrows and your pelvic floor contracts as well. And it should feel synchronized. So on the inhale, I want you to think about rocking your hips forward. You inhale, you relax your glutes, you relax your pelvic floor, you relax your belly. Exhale, you squeeze your ribs, your abs, and you contract your pelvic floor. It actually should make a lot of sense. And one of the reasons most women haven't done Kegel exercises, although we know we should, as you're told by your gynecologist after birthing, is that we're we're not told where the breathing happens. And if your diaphragm and your pelvic floor are connected, you have to know in which direction each of them are going. So it's pretty complicated unless you have a picture in front of you. I do have a picture in my book. I forgot on what page. But all you have to know is that on the inhale, when you rock forwards, you relax your glutes, relax your bicycle seat, relax your belly, and on the exhale, when you sort of roll back and tip your whole body back, you squeeze your lower abs and you squeeze your pelvic floor, almost pulling it away from your seat.
0: Okay, so you just now you you gave me a glimpse to another insight or another benefit of proper breathing is this idea that your your diaphragm pushes down on your intestines when you breathe in, and then your pelvic floor pushes up on them when you exhale. It's like you're giving your intestines a massage. And that should probably should uh, I'd imagine that helps bread. with digestion, right?
2: I am loving you right now. Exactly. It's exactly it. So when people say, you know, how is my breathing supposed to affect my digestion? It's not a miracle. It's not uh, magic. It's really just anatomy exactly what you just said is that your diaphragm supports something called peristalsis. And peristalsis is that wave-like motion that has to do with digesting that your organs do. Now, if you're not using your diaphragm to breathe, if you're using your shoulders, your stomach isn't getting that supportive massage from the diaphragm that's right above it and your pelvic floor that's right below it. So think about how happy your digestive organs get when all of a sudden they're getting massaged from the top and from the bottom of you breathing with the horizontal breath. One of the things that happens almost immediately is that your acid reflux can actually go away um, or get much less because now you're using your diaphragm like the secondary esophagus that it was meant to be.
0: That's awesome. That's really interesting. That's Isn't that awesome. crazy? Yeah. Well, so besides, we've been talking about te- breathing technique, but in the book, you also talk about breathing patterns, and that you can screw that up too. What are some examples of poor breathing patterns? So you, this is someone who's doing the vertical breath, probably, but like the way their the cadence of breath might be messed up as well.
2: Sure. Well, when you're breathing vertically, you have no choice but to breathe in a faster, shallower way you just can't help it if you're going to get the air that you need you have to be breathing faster. So most of the time when someone's told to breathe slower and breathe at a at a in a pattern that helps for instance their heart rate variability it's hard to do continuously because they're continuing to use the smallest part of their lungs. So that's why I teach you should breathe. Your style of breathing needs to change so that then you can support that slower breathing pattern. And a slower breath usually is a better breath. The best breath, the most coherent breathing pattern is five or six breaths per minute. That's actually the perfect breath. That's what you want. But you can't do that unless you're breathing horizontally with the biggest part of your lungs. So once you have your style of breathing to a horizontal breath, getting your breath to be as slow as possible, that five or six breaths as a goal, that's what you should be aiming for perfectly.
0: That's awesome. Well, Belisa, I'm curious. You've worked with lots of clients on their breathing. I'm, I'm wondering, Do you have any stories of people whose lives were changed because just they just focused on their breathing and became more mindful of it?
2: Oh, so many. And so many different ones. I mean, one of the reasons I I get up every day and I love what I do, I absolutely love what I do, is I never know who's going to walk in through the door and what problem they're going to have. And for me, it's a challenge. As soon as I get someone and they have something that... I don't know why it is, or they've been perplexed, or they've seen so many people trying to figure it out is kind of like a medical mystery, trying to move them around, figure out if their diaphragm is locked up, if they're they're traumatized, so they're not breathing at all, looking at their style of breathing, breaking that down, and then trying to figure out how I get them to have that aha moment where they fix their breathing and they do it all the time. So... I don't know if I can give you one story, but I can tell you that the range of stories has really been fascinating for me. So I've gotten everything from... Someone who works in a precision sport or a precision career that all of a sudden they're able to do it better. So, for instance, putting, if you're a golfer and you don't know how to exhale and you don't know how to breathe horizontally, it's going to affect your short game. If you are a, an MMA fighter and you don't know how to breathe horizontally, it's going to affect your center of gravity and it's gonna affect how quickly you recover when you go to your corner. If you're someone who has panic attacks or anxiety, unless you change your style of breathing, you're going to be on medication and you're gonna be struggling with anxiety forever because the medication can can help your anxiety, but your neurological system is gonna keep you in that anxious state unless you change your breathing. So it's really about the range of people that I've worked with that that blows my mind every single day.
0: That's awesome. No, I'll admit I've been doing this for uh, probably about two weeks now, trying to be more mindful about my breath, working on through the exercises, and it's helped out a lot. Um, I, I love it. It's, I do these exercises before I go to bed.
2: Oh, good.
0: And it, it's been and even like when I was in the post office today, standing in line, I was like, all right, let my belly relax a little, and then like do the pelvic floor thing when I'm exhaling. So. it works. So for those of you who who are are listening and want to check this out, where can people find out more
2: about your book and your work? Sure. Well, The Breathing Class is my website or drbelisa.com and the book is anywhere you buy books. I usually tell people to support their local bookstores. It's also on audio and then I do Facebook Lives and I answer questions when people email all the time. Um, So there's lots of ways to find out about it. You can also go to your public library and take the book out there. I've actually... Uh, recommend that people do that too, to support their local libraries. And the book pretty much has everything in it that you need. It's not that it's a commercial for breathing. It actually starts, it gives you all the tools that you need, all the exercises that you need from beginner to intermediate to advanced. For anyone who either feels like they're not breathing well, intuitively they know something's wrong, or they just feel like breathing better because they're struggling with COPD, anxiety, or trying to get to sleep at night.
0: Awesome. Well, Belisa Vranich, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: My guest today was Dr. Belisa Vranich. She's the author of the book, Breathe, the simple revolutionary 14-day program to improve your mental and physical health. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can also find out more information about her work at thebreathingclass.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash breathe, where you find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy this show, have gotten something out of it while you've been listening, I'd really appreciate it if you take time, a minute, give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. really helps us out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of WICDONALD'S. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece wick nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at WICDONALD'S! Ba da ba 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 Go! At participating McDonald's for limited time while supplies last.